0: Hi, everyone, and welcome to this episode of the Spencer Lodge podcast in partnership with Najahi Events. Now, if you want to know anything about PR, then on today's show, I have got the queen of PR here in Dubai. Not only is she awesome as a PR agent, some of her clients list in the names of, well, guess what? Gary Vaynerchuk, would that be a good one for you? Let's cue the music and get stuck in. Welcome to the show. Thank
1: you for having me.
0: It feels like I'm having a friend on my podcast.
1: Well, you are, and you're <laughs> a friend of mine, so this is fun.
0: So, first of all, how many podcasts have you been on?
1: This is my second.
0: Oh, good. Okay, so it's not many then.
1: No, I was on one yesterday. Oh, really? I, you, you would have been my first, but like scheduling-wise, because of the holidays, I had to get out of town, so I'm like trying to cram in things on the weekends and stuff.
0: Okay. You, oh, hold on a minute. I saw the gold microphones.
1: I was kind of turned on by the gold microphones. Oh,
0: damn, man. I, was, I nearly went and got from Mace Hardware last night some gold spray paint to put on my mics here at the studio. No, this
1: is a really, really nice setup. Like Thank seriously professional.
0: You. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> so for the benefit of everybody else, kay. tell us in one minute. One minute. Who you are, Maha, and what you do?
1: Uh, I'm an American Egyptian, uh, born and raised in the states. Moved back to the region 22 years ago. I do communications. I'm a professional storyteller. I help companies and people like build and protect their reputations.
0: Okay, and that—did you train to do that? Like, is it at university?
1: Yeah. So my undergrad was in um, international business and marketing with a minor in French, and I got my master's in communications.
0: Okay, and did you always wanna be like a PR type person?
1: Actually, when I was a little girl, I always wanted to be like standing, reporting live from the pyramids for CBS News, for some reason, because that's what my family used to watch. So I always liked being like a part of the news business and all this kind of stuff. So when I was in college, I entered at the CBS affiliate, because that was like my dream network at the time. And, um, I just loved being in the newsroom because you get the information before the people get it. You have to package it. You, like that thrilling moment of knowing the news before you tell the world is kind of super fun. I mean, I'm super turned on. It was so fun. So well, fun. hold on,
0: because we're, we're, we're almost the same age. So in the, when we were kids, that was a kind of sexy, cool thing, wasn't yeah, it?
1: Yeah, to be a foreign correspondent. I always thought I'm going to report live from the pyramids. And I used to practice my stand-up. So being in communications and PR, I'm still in the news industry, just the other side. So instead of me being the journalist, I'm the ad actually pitching to the press, trying to tell stories through the media, helping, you know, share narratives that my clients would like to communicate, helping them get investors, helping them retain talent, that type of thing. Acquire talent.
0: Do you, I, I, I work with lots of companies and I talk about PR and communications with them. And, and most companies don't do it. And they're focused on revenue generation rather than understanding the value and the importance of PR. It drives me mad. It drives me mad. Because I look at them and I'm like, do you realize the opportunities that you're missing? You know, I don't know, take take any industry here in Dubai, um, something simple, the real estate industry. How does any one company stand out from the others?
1: Yeah, I mean, I talk a lot about like, it's like your reputation is like a currency. If you don't have it, like it's all, it's your value, it's your name. So imagine you have like the best sales, you have the best marketing, you have the best employees, but if you have a terrible reputation, no one's going to talk to you or work with you or join you or buy your product. So like having that is so important. The other thing too about communications, which is like with digital and internet and online and everything in real time, communication is one of the most important skills you need. As a leader, if you have your own social media accounts, like you have to know how to communicate. It's like a skill. It's not a nice to have, it's like a must have. So even like I talk to like engineers, they're like, tell me how to figure out how to present my ideas for my startup. Or marketing people who like, what's the difference between PR and marketing and how can PR help us? So like, it's not a skill for like CEOs or just PR people. Everybody needs to know how to communicate. So,
0: why, that's that, what you just said there is about as much common sense as you're ever going to find anywhere in in, in the space. Why do people resist that so much? What stops them from accepting that really common sense statement and embracing that within
1: their business? I just think they don't know what it is or why they need it. They're like, well, like for some people, like even talking about like, you know, your personal brand, they're like, well, I don't need to be, you know, chest beating and saying how great I am. I'm like, if you have a social media account, you're a personal brand. Fact, the end. the end. So you need to figure out like, what kind of stuff am I posting? How am I representing myself? Is this like who I really am? Like you should be putting pictures of yourself doing things that are on the internet forever. Like being just mindful about how to represent who you are. If you're looking for a job, you wanna start posting on LinkedIn about things you're passionate about that shows you're an expert so that people will see it. Like. That's the kind of common sense stuff about personal branding and communications that everyone needs to know how to do.
0: And do you think then that social media has made um, made it more difficult for the PR industry to to grow, or do you think it just enhances the offering?
1: By the way, it's more important now than it was before. Why? For example, something would happen to a company, a bad thing would happen, it would get written up, it would like a crisis would happen, and you'd have. You know get ripping on newspaper written up in the newspaper you'd have like 24 hours to respond by the time the next newspaper comes out or the next tv station comes out right yeah so you'd have time to like prepare a statement and react now it's real time something is posted everybody's phone is a broadcast globally to the world yeah they post it online it's real time it's immediate you have to know how to react you have to have a statement. And if you're slow to respond, people will criticize you. Like, why haven't they responded yet? Or we didn't like how they handled that situation. So like, PR is more important now because of virality, because of digital, because of real time, so they need to know how to do this now more than ever. And that kind of scares me when I think about companies who don't have communications departments or don't think about how they're going to handle their PR. And they're like, the social team will deal with that. No, social, marketing, PR all have to work together. Because if they don't, that's when you know an issue that could bubble up can really put the company on a back foot. And then they'll have a really hard time recovering from it. Think about like some of the companies when you've heard like a crisis, like this very famous case of United Airlines where like they dragged the guy off the plane.
0: Yeah,
1: And everyone's like, well, why aren't they apologizing like right away? Like, why aren't they saying something? That's a really good case study. And like A, the world is watching. B, they didn't respond fast enough. C, they didn't apologize quick enough. Like there's so much transparency now. So a lot of companies have this FOMO, you know what FOMO is, fear mm-hmm. of missing out. Fofo is fear of finding out, (laughs) you know, like people are going to find out if we're covering up or people are going to find out if we're pulling a fast one on them. So the transparency of the Internet is going to hold a lot of people accountable and the companies that step up to, you know, be transparent about their communications, about their values, about if you mess up, you should just come out with a lot of empathy and apologize. Hands up. And people will appreciate that. They're like, hey, they messed up and they, they owned it. I mean, Google was really good about that. Like, if they messed up, they would say, listen, we don't get it right all the time. We make mistakes. We're human. They're pretty humble about it. You have to, because if you don't, people will start to judge and people are advocates with their consumerism online and you could get destroyed.
0: You have Boris Johnson, who's just got elected as the new prime minister. So he's, a, he's our crazy version of what the Americans have. And we have Jeremy Corbyn, who was the opposition leader. Okay. And for me, when I when I look at the... They both have a party manifesto, so they both say what they're going to do, you know, when they get elected, this is what we're going to do for the country. And they both got really valuable things within their manifesto mm-hmm. that, are, that appeal to certain segments, segments of, of yeah. the audience. And so... Uh, there was fear that this was going to be touch and go until it became an absolute, you know, whitewash the, the Boris Johnson thrashed Jeremy Corbyn. And I look at that and, I'm, and, I'm, and I say to myself, right, who, OK, understands what really went on here? Do we really understand there's, there's a really smart propaganda machine going, OK, and, mm-hmm. and a very poorly put together propaganda machine? And do you think elections like this one are almost decided by how... Um, how clever political parties have been by using and understanding PR and social media.
1: I mean, I think, you know, the internet plays a pivotal role in how the politicians run their campaigns now. It's so obvious. Like Obama started it way back when, and when he started to use the internet to mobilize and galvanize people and do fundraising. Trump is a genius at it. Like he's direct to consumer. He eliminates the Minuteman and he does his communications directly. Um, And even if you see like the political, you know, campaigns in the UK and, you know, the narrative online is the narrative that people believe and that's what they see and it mobilizes people. So they're really smart about how they handle their communications and social media and stuff like that. The press is being crippled a bit because a lot of people just can put out their own messages directly on their channels and they don't have to, you know, have rely on the press to tell their stories. But I think because of fake news Disinformation, lack of trust, lack of transparency. Journalisms are being emboldened now to like, no, we are investigative reporting. We're going to hold people to the power to the people to make sure that they're, you know, doing what they say they're supposed to do. So I think even the journalism industry is starting to like really stand on its, you know, back feet and say we're here to like prove that this industry is required for democracy or like a big part of how democracy will thrive.
0: Okay, you said um, oh, I listened to your podcast because you have a podcast called Digital and Savvy, yeah? Yes. Okay, so it's called li- Savvy Talk. Savvy Talk. Okay, yeah. so everybody, if you, if you haven't if you haven't <laughs> subscribed to it, subscribe to my uh, podcast and listen to it. When you were talking to Katie Couric the other day, you were uh, in that interview. She was talking about fake news, and she said something that was really important that that whole fake news thing that can be created by anybody represents quite badly on on the journalism the professional journalism that takes place
1: yeah because these guys are hard-working journalists who actually are fact driven do their research talk to sources do investigative reporting so a lot of things get thrown out the wayside because it's under some people call it like fake news so I think that's why you're gonna see a huge change in the news industry whether it's you know behind a paywall so people can start to you know understand you know, like people are gonna start to pay for content because they know that it comes from a credible source of people who are really working hard to tell the story that's fact-driven. Mm-hmm. I mean, the internet's able to manipulate a lot of the algorithm. And I
0: read a book the other stories, day, and I yeah. think you might know what this book is called. It's called Trust Me, I'm Lying. Yes, yeah, the Ryan the confe- Holiday. Yeah, The Confessions of a Media Manipulator and somebody sent it to me and said you need to have a read of this book and so I've, I'm probably into chapter 7 or 8 and the, the first three chapters I just sat there with my jaw on the floor going how on earth did you get away with this stuff when you when you, when you take someone like Ryan Holiday and, mm-hmm. and, and his kind of open way of explaining what went on and what he did before American Apparel and stuff does that Does that, with your years of knowledge and experience, does that does that make you go back and think, yeah, okay, that that's that's really true, how lots of that kind of stuff happened, and is it changed nowadays?
1: Well, I mean, his book is pretty frank about what really happens on the scene. I'm actually watching now the um, the Roger Ailes uh, documentary or the the series called The Loudest Voice, which talks about like how they were in the news industry and they wanted to be fair and balanced, and how he like it's fascinating if you haven't seen like what happens behind the scenes and how Fox's journey came to the rise. But like, I'm not an expert on how the news industry works and what really happens. All I know is it's an important part for any democracy. And I believe that journalists really, really, really work hard to make sure that they're telling stories based on... Newsworthiness and you know trying to be unbiased and trying to be objective. It's very difficult for you and I to sit in front and write a story and not have our own opinions in it. Absolutely, I don't think, and I think Katie and I talked a little bit about that in our podcast. Like, of course, you're going to bring your opinions to it because that's your expertise. Like, Mm -hmm. it's not natural to say I don't have an opinion about this piece I'm writing. I'm going to be completely, you know, objective, and I'm not going to let anything that's influenced. That's that just doesn't happen. It's not possible. So it's like, how do you just make sure that you the facts you're getting, you come from reliable sources, that type of thing?
0: That bias that exists in everything that we do. Even if you interview somebody, for goodness yeah, sake, and sit it, down, there, there's gonna be there's gonna be bias.
1: And when it comes to communications, if you are a company that wants to send information to the press, you shouldn't try to use them for blatant you know, commercialism. Give them information they want, give them information they need, give them access to information they wouldn't have had, add value by giving them like data or research or infographics or creative that they can use on their social media channels, like add value to that journalist because they have a lot of demands on their time. A lot of people are pitching them stories. They have deadlines from their editors. They have things that they want to write about that they care about. So like if you are going to be one other person pitching to that journalist and they have to see is this real or fake or is this propaganda, keep that in mind because they also have very demanding jobs and If your job is to get a story written or told or covered, and that journalist is your conduit, you have to be fully prepared and have done your homework.
0: Agreed. Now, I asked you, I don't know when it was, two or three months ago maybe, I said, would you, would you, would you? Can I be a client? Yes. And you said to me, hell no, I'm chock-a-block busy, I've got more going on than I know what to do with. Yeah. Which is fabulous, which yeah. means you've, you've got a successful business. Yeah. And I know that you work with people, like you organized for me to interview Gary recently, so Gary Vaynerchuk's one of your clients, and, and, and I'm sure other people that are of that great standing, which is kind of super cool, and it's, it's saying a lot about how good you are, isn't it, without you saying I'm,
1: it? I'm having fun. <laughs> so
0: so when, when, I, when I look at that, I can see that you've grown a successful business. Anybody else that, uh, sorry, and because you've grown that successful business, your knowledge of PR and communications, how has that helped you build that business? So how do you land those clients? Because there's lots of people out there that are listening to this yep. that want to know how to build the business, how to get the clients, and and what tools you use. So so what, what do you do?
1: Yeah, so first of all, I'm, the reason I couldn't take you on, not because I don't want to, like, you have to be honest with yourself about your bandwidth. Because if I'm going to work with you, I have to commit myself to you to add value to you. And so I knew, like, I wouldn't be able to give you, like, what I wanted to do. So when my bandwidth it's calm down we will talk anyways so one of the things I think you know this is something I've always always like I became an entrepreneur in 2000 in Egypt like there weren't a lot of female entrepreneurs that were starting companies in Egypt I actually only knew one female woman that was in charge of an ad agency it wasn't her company she was the managing director she was like a hired employee but like we were only two women in all of Cairo that were in any management positions at that time in the communications field. And I thought, if I'm gonna build a company or give communications expertise or support to clients, what's the difference between me and another agency, like another PR agency? Because when I was in Cairo, I built Weber Shandwick. I actually built Weber Shandwick in the Middle East, but I was based in Cairo at the time. I'm like, what's the difference between Weber Shandwick and Hill and Knowlton and Edelman and all these other big PR firms that exist? I'm like, I have to add an edge. I have to add value. I have to do something that's unique to me that they don't do. So what is it that I can add that's the secret sauce? Is it the strategic thinking? Is it my relationships? Is it the network I bring to them? Like you have to have something. So I think in terms of like how did I grow my business and get clients, I focused on one thing and one thing only, adding value. Like I have to be thinking about what is the value creation I'm doing for that client. That's so what is you give
0: one example of where you added
1: value that others weren't. So for example, Gary, my relationship with Gary, I didn't know who he was. I started working with him. Gary was coming to do a speaking event and coming to speak on stage at the Charger Entrepreneurship Festival. So instead of just coming to speak on stage, why don't we think about how we can add value to the people in the UAE who, he's never been here before, I really wanted him to, like, meet the people and the culture and all this kind of stuff. So instead of just coming in to deliver speaking engagement, how can we add value? Well, wouldn't it be great if Gary could talk to some entrepreneurs? He would learn about what people are thinking about in the Middle East, how the youth are thinking about entrepreneurship, what are some of the things that they're facing. So that would be great for Gary because he would get insight on the Middle East but it would also be good for the entrepreneurs because now they got access to meet the guru on entrepreneurship. So I'm trying to figure out how can I add value? So I'm adding value to Sharjah, the Mm. people who are organizing the event. I'm like, that's something they didn't ask for. I'm like, we should do that. Something for Gary, like he could also learn and gain insight. And he would build relationships. That's an example of like adding value. And then I'm like, okay, what else can we do to add value? Well, I think, you know, Gary's really good at what he does. I'd like him to meet as many people as possible so he can tell his message about what he does. Because I think that's good. So I'm like, add value, but trying to get him to meet as many people as possible. So that's just an example of something that I did with, with him to show You know, create more relationships and networks with people is really what I love to do. Like, I'm a connector. Like, I want to make sure if there's someone that's important for you to meet, it's going to be win-win for you, and I'm going to make it win-win for the other person, I'll make that connection. Mm -hmm. So the networking is super important to how I add value to people, like connecting them to people so that they could build something out of relationship. And nine times out of 10, I'm not involved whatsoever in whatever they create. It's just being part of that value creation is so rewarding for me.
0: Do you remember your first client?
1: My very, oh, that's a really tough question. Now you're making me think way back. Um, my very first client, I was gonna say, I was gonna, it's Coca-Cola. I was gonna say General Motors, but it was Coca-Cola. Okay. I worked for Coca-Cola for nine years really yeah 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 and then that my client ended up moving to atlanta and now he runs coca-cola globally and he's like some big so where,
0: where was that in cairo in cairo and, yeah okay. yeah yeah. so you schooled in minnesota
1: born and raised in minnesota okay. undergrad graduate degree lived in minnesota moved to minnesota uh, to egypt when i was 27. why uh for personal reasons okay. really my mom had multiple sclerosis she was really oh. sick and i was taking care of her and my dad's like we're moving back to egypt we've been in e- the u.s longer than we intended to be, nearly like 40 years. Um, my sister was married, settled down, and I was single, and I was taking care of my mom. Okay. And so they said, we're moving back. I'm like, Dad, I'm gonna come with you and take care of Mom, and so I moved back with my parents.
0: Okay, so, so that the client that you had when you were in, uh, with Coca-Cola, if you, with all the stuff you know now,
1: yeah if, we, I, yeah, if
0: we took you back and we planted you back inside there today with all you knew now, what kind of things would you do differently? And what kind of what kind of things with schoolboy errors would you have seen that you, you were doing?
1: Well, I'll tell you, Be honest with you, the the reason why um, I'm able to help companies like Coca Cola, like I worked with Google and I work with Netflix and Kareem mm. and Uber and like the companies that are not. I mean Kareem's here, but like Deezer was from outside and Udacity was from the US is. I don't pretend to be an expert in their business. Like I'm not an expert on Coca-Cola and packaging and their food and their product and their issues. What I am able to bring to the table is local insight and knowledge and like how to win hearts and minds on the ground. So I was always, like, with Coca-Cola, just trying to help them figure out how they can be a part of the community. So Coca-Cola was into, like, music or sports or schools or water. Like, water is, like, a really big issue for them. So, like, we ended up working with villages, connecting. We went to these villages to connect um, these very poor villages in Egypt to water. They, like, tons of villages have no access to water. And so the children, like, they couldn't even brush their teeth properly. So they had all these issues with their teeth. And Coca-Cola went in and, like, connected hundreds of thousands of homes. And so that was rewarding. So what I would do different now than I did then, I guess I can't remember. It was so long ago. But, like, you stumped me on that one. I don't know. I think, you know... What we know today and how we communicate today is much different than how we did it back then. So do you, it's like,
0: do you look at do you look at that time though? Was that really exciting for you when you you know you landed this gig? You're in Coca-Cola. It's one of the biggest brands in the world, if not the biggest brand. Yeah, in the yeah world Back yeah. then it yeah, must have yeah, been. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And and you, you're sitting there. And you, how how old were you when that happened?
1: Well, when I started this company, I was like probably around 30 by this time. Okay. When I had because I was 27 when I first moved, and then when I did this startup where I had. I was like 29 or okay, two years 30. ago yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah two years Good ago two yeah. years a couple ago. <laughs> years ago, just a little bit ago. <laughs> yeah i mean it was fun for me here's how um it was fun for me because i'm egyptian i'm 100 egyptian both my mom and dad are egyptian but i was born and raised in the states so it was easy for me to go to these companies and say you are american companies i understand how american companies think and work but I'm Muslim, Arab, Egyptian. I understand the culture here. So I was able to be that east west bridge. Yeah. And so that's why I would go to like, I could speak the Coca Cola, General Motors, McDonald's, mm-hmm. all those American companies. I could bring them in because I knew how american companies work and think however i'm a local i'm a local girl in in all the ways possible so i like i understand like how local companies will accept you know that integration between the u.s companies coming into the region
0: do you think you're a workaholic
1: I used to be, I used to be like, like I was, yeah, I made so many mistakes. Like I used to be, and I was like driver, driver, and drove everyone, drove everyone crazy. Like I was like, like that. I mean, I was workaholic and I had expectations of myself and others. I, I'm very, very. Um, different now because I understand, first of all, I'm older, so I'm more comfortable in my career and what I'm doing and what I'm like passionate about. And I also like set a really good boundaries for myself because I want to enjoy my life. I don't want to just work to live. Like I love what I do. So now it's just fun.
0: You seem to spend a lot of time on the road as well.
1: This year I traveled a lot. Like I don't normally travel that much, like as much as I did this year. Um, In Google, I traveled a lot. And then, like between 2014 and 2018, I didn't take that many business trips. So it kind of comes and goes in cycles based on what's required for the work or what's required for my clients. So, yeah. And then you have to learn how to like take really good care of yourself when you're traveling and how do you handle jet lag and how do you get your work done and get your workouts in. And like, it's so rewarding, the stuff that I get to work on. I'm super, super grateful and I'm super blessed. But you also have to like manage because everything's time zones you are all lo- off loop.
0: I no, we were talking about that earlier. How many clients can you effectively manage? doing what you do i mean you, you you're high profile and you're highly res- respected that's the reason that i said come please don't well, you know there's loads of pr people
1: yeah 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 there's loads of PR so companies. i'm very selective and one is i know i'm very selective <laughs> for two reasons one is i want to be able to look at a client and say i am uniquely qualified to help you do that because there's a lot of people who are better at some things that than me a lot and so i'm like you know what that's not one for me so I want to see, is it something where I can actually add value? And it has to be something I feel like I like a really good challenge. So like I want something that's a hard nut to crack or something that's not an easy thing. That's why a lot of people come to me for crisis communications to help them figure out how to get out of sticky situations. I mean, it's obviously a challenge, but like you also want to pick things that you can successfully solve and add tremendous value to them. Um, and I also like to do two things. I like to do the writing myself and I like to do the strategy myself. So like, those are things I really like to do. So I have help, but I also like try to pick on client, pick clients that I can be heavily engaged with. So like for Gary, for example, I'm, nobody works on that, but me. So like, I'm heavily engaged with what we need to do for him and his companies and how to support him. But other clients, it could be someone else that I, you know, work with that helps me, you know, manage that situation.
0: Do you find it easy to spot the mistakes that other people are making when you look at either other brands or other individuals that are self-branded? Do you, do you, do you find yourself, you know, it's just like that. You if know, you're a
1: chef and you go to a restaurant yeah, 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 yeah. And you think do, um do you, Sometimes I'm like, God, I can't believe they didn't respond or I can't believe they didn't, like, you know, come up with a better statement or I've seen people come up with statements and I'm like, oh, my God, that's so bad. Like, I see things. I like to look at case studies mm-hmm. and I like to learn from them. So I'm, I'm always constantly looking like the Hawaii thing, like that was a big crisis that happened to that company. Like how did they handle it? How did they navigate it? How did they get out of it? You know, a lot of celebrities get into a lot of trouble with their brands and then the brands have to distance themselves. And then, so there's a lot of examples that we can point to to see how people handle communications. It's fascinating. Like <laughs> just respond quickly, Yeah. you know, apologize if you made a mistake. You know, know that the world is watching. I always say it's like, you're driving down a highway and you're doing maintenance on the car while it's driving down the highway. Like everyone's watching, you have to do everything's live. Uh-huh. You really have to be on your foot because of the internet. You just can't afford to just like, we're gonna wait a couple of days and come up with a statement and you know.
0: So let's <laughs> let us talk about SME businesses, mm. all right? Because there's, there's- I love
1: talking about startups. Okay. Or there, SMAs, SMEs. There's,
0: there's a lot of, and I really don't like the word entrepreneur because so why? Because I don't come from a world where that was a real word. When 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 I when we were younger, that was like a.
1: By the way, I think twenty twenty next couple of years, the word entrepreneur is that is gonna like no one's gonna want to be called an entrepreneur. <laughs> cheesy as hell. But no, not cheesy. It's just like if people are gonna see like they not everybody's cut out to be an entrepreneur and they don't know how to do it. It's like you go in, you want to be an entrepreneur, you want to raise all this money, you get all the money, then you don't deliver, then you crash. And so it's like, you'll see.
0: Mm, maybe. I mean, we've
1: seen a couple of examples already, but it's like...
0: Yeah, WeWork's a great example, isn't it?
1: Exactly. Like, you know, it's like, it's going to not become the sexy thing to, it, to achieve. Like, what
0: to was that lady? What was that lady? The, that was the one that really got me. The lady that had the blood testing. Um, in oh, Elizabeth Holmes.
1: It was, with, was it Elizabeth Holmes? Okay. Yeah.
0: Is it Elizabeth? Is that her name? Holmes. Something Holmes, wasn't it? They raised all the capital. Yeah. The, this the, company the was worth bla- the,
1: Bad blood. You the, could go to
0: Walmart and you could get your blood tested. I listened to
1: the podcast, <clears throat> watched the show. Yeah.
0: That's just, when you see kind of stuff like that, it's nuts. But okay, let's remove those kind of unusual okay. ones. Because uh, we can even argue that Snapchat a great example of something that might not be going as well as it could do. Really? Well, you saw when Snapchat went public, their price came falling down as soon as they went public. The market yeah, cap is much doing less well. Than they're doing well compared to what? I'm sure they're... Sure I don't they're, know. They're, are, they're you, are you
1: going talk to me about TikTok? Are you on TikTok? Yeah, are you? Okay, I started an account... But then I was like, I don't like, yeah, I posted like two videos.
0: Do you you feel uncomfortable thinking what kind of videos you should post? No,
1: I really want to like, I I need to have time to think about like, how does the platform work? What are some fun things I can do? Like, it has to be intuitive to me. I'm not going to get up and do like, (laughs) I'm not going to do that. I want to do something that's like, for me, I actually want to like reach an audience and do something. But I want to like you know, have an idea of what's the best way to use TikTok.
0: It's funny, you know, the the, the videos of mine that have been viewed the most. I've
1: seen your channel. I've gone through it. Yeah.
0: find it really difficult. I go on to everything else and I'm very natural about the way that I just put stuff there. But with TikTok, I sit there and I just keep thinking and thinking and yeah, thinking. Yeah,
1: but you're not supposed it. to overthink. That's the thing that Gary teaches you. It's like, you shouldn't overthink. But I also like, I, I want to, I'm not... Familiar with the platform, yet, so I need to get on it.
0: (laughs) My daughter, my oldest daughter, my youngest daughter, she's just like, what?
1: Yeah, well, this Christmas break, I'm going to be with my family, and I'm going to tell my niece and nephew to teach me. (laughs) I told them that we're going to be starring in some TikTok videos, and my sister was like, when?
0: Right, anyway, let's get back to entrepreneurs. Entrepreneurs nowadays... Um, startup businesses, they're trying to get attention in a very crowded space. I mean, I, I, I as a, bit, a, a guy that runs a sales training business, uh, I, I try and get attention in a very crowded space. And, you know, I'll go out and there'll be some people that come up to me and say, hey, you're Spencer. And then there'll be other people that come up to me and say, well, I know you from somewhere, but I can't remember where. And and uh, sometimes you feel like you get attention. But overall, the attention has to translate into something. Yeah. Okay. And and, and when, you, when you're in business, the... the The whole point of being in business is to build something that's worth something, either to take money off the table or to build intrinsic value that you then sell. So let's say you're taking money off the table, that, that attention must come back down to pounds, shillings and pence, you know, making money as a business. When you see these entrepreneurs that are out there trying to get attention for their business, and, and they, they, this is the thing with PR for me and communications, it's almost like they don't think that it has any real value. What they think they're being told and fed is you must get your brand on social media, you must have a
1: website, you know, yes, yeah, yeah.
0: yeah, the website, which I think is nuts, but have your brand on social media, um, document your journey, create content. And, and after a while, some of them are kind of accepting that that's part of it, rather than doing what lots of companies do. And this is what in the main they do. Here's our company, here's our business, and from today onwards, we need to find clients. So our focus is gonna be on lead generation. So we're gonna run ads on social media to try and generate leads so we can get people interested in the product or service that we're trying to sell. Mm -hmm. But for me, it's like, why are you doing that? Look at the conversion you have of the leads you generate. You have a 1% conversion of the leads you generate. That means that people don't know who you are and they're not genuine leads. Why don't you create awareness first so that people know who you are so that when you then try and get them to want to buy something from you, they're more interested and they trust you.
1: It's about brand. You need to build a brand. You do. You have to focus on building a brand and you're building awareness around your brand. Because that's your differentiator. What's the difference between that app and another app is the brand?
0: Okay, but let let me ask you. So I'm I'm the guy that heard someone say that and I'm like, okay, fine. I'm going to build my brand. So I'm going to produce awareness campaigns now on social media so that people now are more aware of me. And in my campaigns, I'm going to, Not try and sell anything to anyone. All I'm going to do is try and add value to people. So bring content that's valuable. Educate people. Bring that content. Let's keep educated. I'll document my journey. I'll show them what's involved. And hopefully I'll create some trust. Yeah. Now, how do they think this is? Because this is the thing with PR and communications. They're not then saying, how do I communicate that story past that point? How do I build on that story past that point? All, literally, all they're doing is they're getting strong-armed into producing content, which they've now kind of accepted because their conversion mm-hmm. rates are low. But then the whole PR thing around it is such a, such a, a, a confusing and grey world mm-hmm. to them as to what's involved. Now, they consume content. They read the newspapers. They read the magazines, online or offline. So they're they're, they're consuming that type of content. They're just not seeing how it can apply to their business. And entrepreneurs, whether they're small business owners or they're sole traders or whatever term you want to call it, okay, these entrepreneurs don't get that message. It's almost like you're a cost. Give me the ROI on PR. Give me the – how much – if I give you X amount every month, how much are you going to give me? And it's a very vague world, isn't it?
1: Yeah, yeah, I understand. So you're you're asking how do people prove that PR works? Yes. Essentially? Yes. So for example, it depends on obviously what your objectives are. Like are you a brand new company and you need to build awareness? Is your objective to get an investor? So you might be writing articles to talk about the value of the company, what's the idea? Why is this a good business proposition? So you'd get the results if you ended up doing a lot of awareness, which attracts investors. Let's say you're trying to use PR to attract talent. This is a great place to work. Here's about our work environment. Here's our culture. Here's how we treat our employees. This is the kind of leadership we have inside of our company. These are the types of people that we're trying to um, attract because if you come here, you can build a good career, and, 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 and. So you look at, like, how many people are we hiring? What's our reputation online with employees? What's our internal communications reputation with our employees? That's another second... It's kind of segment. Third, let's say you're trying to go out to consumers and you really want to talk to consumers about your brand. There's like eight different objectives. Are you trying to inform? Are you trying to educate? Are you trying to influence? Are you trying to advocate for a cause? Are you trying to drive awareness so people to participate in an event, for example, or download your app? You can measure it. I think the thing about communications is because it's managing reputation, it's not like you do an ad, you see a bump in sales. Reputation is a long-term game. So if a client comes to me and says, I want to hire you for a month or two, I'm like, I'm not going to work with you. Why? Because it's deposits in the trust bank. You have to do it over time. So when you have a problem, you can make a withdrawal. PR is not like a hit and run type of thing. Because A, it's a waste of money. And B, people will see right through that. Like, I hate it when someone says, hey, Maha, we want you to come and help us do a publicity stunt. I'm not in the stunt business. A stunt is a gimmick. That does not build your long-term reputation, it doesn't build your long-term brand. And that's what I'm in the business of doing. Like, how can we build and protect your reputation on the long-term? So that's why PR is sort of a long-term game, but people who understand the value of creating a strong reputation, doing things that help build your reputation, understand the value of communications and PR in general.
0: Well said. We well, it's just something time. I've been
1: dealing with like, yeah, for you, almost 30 years. Like, everyone's it. like, I know what I get if I pay a dollar for advertising. Yeah. If I pay a dollar for PR, what do I get? Yeah. And so I've been explaining this for a long time. You will get, but you can't have a return after a month or two. Think about your reputation. Did You have a career. Did you build your reputation in a day, a week, a month, two months, three months of being right. doing what you're doing? 30 years. It, 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 could you say I have a career in three months and then that's what I've been doing and that's my reputation? It's the same mentality for a client. Like, you can't build it in three months <laughs> of doing a couple of articles. It's consistency with how you treat your customers, how you respond online to your customers, how you deliver your product, how you do your last mile, how you manage a supply chain, how you treat your employees. Like, all of that has to do with PR. You know, all of that. So, like, it's not a one day, one week, three month kind of a gig. And so that's why, like, I worked with Coke for, like, nine years. I worked with Netflix for, like, five years. Like, because it's a long-term thing, you can't do it in a short-term span. Anywho.
0: Maha, thank you so much. You're welcome. Thank show. you for having I me. The time. I know you got somewhere else to be.
1: Uh, let's make it happen, TV.
0: Indeed, indeed.
1: Thanks, Ladies Spencer. and gentlemen,
0: the awesome Maha.
1: Thank you. Thank you.
0: But well, what an episode that was. Being joined by a PR legend has really been eye opening for me. And hopefully, you've picked up some great ideas and some concepts yourself about how valuable PR is and communications are when you're building a business, and also how you focus on maintaining your reputation and also get your message out there to more people so that people can understand what you're doing, why you're doing it, and the impact that you're having on the community that you're serving.